0: The following audios from the Chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the Chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Okay, by a show of hands, who has heard this verse? Jeremiah 29 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for well, for not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Who's heard this verse? Okay. By a show of hands, and please confess this if it's true of you, how many of you own this verse on a t-shirt, bumper sticker, coffee mug, bowl, ceramic? I knew it. I knew there'd be at least a handful of you. And some of you aren't raising your hands because you're like, wait, is he going to mock me or praise me? I'm not going to tell you yet. Uh, You're going to find out shortly. Because this verse is, we cling to this verse as followers of Jesus because we want a plan. We want a purpose. We want... Good, not evil. I like how the NLT puts it: "Plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope." There's uh, people wake up, and we want a future, we want a hope, we want to be recognized, we want to have a direction. The problem with this verse is that it's it's often taken out of Jeremiah and it's put upon our bumper stickers, and we don't remember. That this verse was written to a people after they had been ripped from their country, put into a new city that was not their own, surrounded by enemies that did not like their culture. And it has a context preceding this that says, this is how you're supposed to live. God is calling the Israelites who had just been taken from their land to live a certain way. And that's our text this morning, Jeremiah 29, 4-7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what God's telling them to do as they have been taken away, ripped from their land or taken from their homes. Here's what God says to do. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, the welfare of the city, you will find your welfare. Yeah, I just heard Alexa. (laughs) Alexa needs Jesus, apparently. I'm glad she's here. This, this story is so incredible because in one moment, they're just living in their homes, living in their country, minding their own. And then all of a sudden, they're literally taken from their country and transported to another land. This is how the Babylonians conquered. They didn't just go in and wipe everybody out. Oftentimes, what they would do is they would take a people group and they'd spread them out so that the people group couldn't come back together to rise up and revolt. So they would say, we're going to send 10% of you here, 10% of you here, and they would spread them all out. It's the great exile, the dispersion. And and I've heard many, many people, and I've read many, many things this past week about how this country is not what it used to be. Now, at a risk of pointing out the obvious, at no point in the future is the country what it was before, right? Right? So we can lament like, well, this isn't what it was in the 1960s and 50s. Well, of, of course it's not. But also today, we don't have on the cover of Time magazine, How to Spank Your Wife. Real cover of the magazine. Okay? So, so like times change. In, in our culture, in our global world now, it's, it's not so much that, that we are literally getting pulled up and exiled, but as followers of Jesus, we stand on something that is eternal. And if the world moves around us, we have a rock that we are standing on so that the whole world may move. We ought to be standing firm on God's principles. And it's almost like even in my lifetime, the world is unrecognizable, unrecognizable. And I'm not even like from the time I was an adult, when I first became an adult, like in the 90s, the world was a radically different place than it is today. Now, I can say, I wish we could just go back, but that's not really what we want. Like, let's be honest, no one wants to go back to the other aspects of the world. Does anyone, like, crave AOL dial-up? No. I see you get mad at your phones when your 4G acts like 3G, okay? Uh, We we have soccer on Saturdays, and it's funny because there's kids and adults that will only watch their their games from around the perimeter of this building because there's free Wi-Fi, like, the world has changed, for good or for bad, and there are much good and much bad. Things have changed. But how are we as God's people? Because now, more and more, we're looking like exiles. If you, want, if you want to know how much of an exile you are, just stand up for the most baseline Christian beliefs in any public sector. The most baseline ones. People will look at you like you're the purple-eyed people-eater monster, whatever that seventy song was. People leader, yeah, that one. Because it's it's amazing when people when I tell people what I believe, it's almost like you still believe this this archaic old ancient book. Well, yeah, just give it like a couple years, man. You're you're gonna believe it too. Either you're gonna turn, or we all die eventually. And I have this confidence. Do you have a confidence? And that's when I get a little passive aggressive. But I've had a crazy week ever since. There's the shooting happened over there on the East Coast. Um, it's just been one of those weeks where like one thing topples after another. And, uh, and I've been thinking a lot and praying a lot. And then this passage was here. So, so the context is they're taken from home to a hostile culture. But then God gives them very practical things. Now this I know Florida can get behind. Build houses and live in them. Right? Right? Like, at some point, I'm like, Florida, slow down. Stop building so many houses. I can't even, I love living here because I call it the country. So I can drive into the chapel area coming, I can go down Fishhawk Boulevard or down this back Boyette way. And when I first moved here, because I didn't know like, okay, where am I going to live? We just drew a circle that was in between the chapel and where my wife shops. And that's where our real estate agent looked for us, okay? So so I have to drive into Fishhawk. And um, and I love going what I call the country way because there's cows, and it's not city. Literally, there's like just open fields and trees. And if you grew up here, you're like, what are you talking about? Just just go to Los Angeles or like Southern California. You'll know what I'm talking about. Like there's trees here that are old. I love it. And I will. And you're thinking this guy's yes, but it's but I I go through the country, but now it's like all I see or just somebody named Lenar and Beezer are taking over the world. But, but what does it have to do with us? Why is God telling his people, build homes, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce? And I'm not talking about like your fish hawk gardens, not like your little trough in the lanai with basil. Like they were planting food. We just go to Publix. It's okay. But why, would, why is this God's command to them? Because God wants his people in the midst of exile, in the midst of a culture that is hostile, to plant roots, to put down an identity and a home, not to say we're going to look forward to the day when we get to go back. God says, no, you, you are where you are by my plan, and I want you to build, I want you to plant. Don't just wait and long for the days of old, move forward. Many of us treat the city like a resource to be consumed for our pleasure or entertainment. Instead, I think we have to, we have to begin to build into the communities. And for you military families out there, I know we've got a lot of military personnel. It's hard because the military is going to pull you up, put you down, pull you up, put you down. So you're literally getting transplanted every three years. You've got to do exactly what we do in horticulture. You've got to put vitamins before you replant yourself and say, I'm diving in. And I'm going to plant myself in here for three years, but I'm going to let everyone know that I'm 100% in for the years that my government moved me here. And that's just for the military people. Because if we don't begin to plant in, what's going to happen is that cities are going to be these things that are just out there for our benefit and not us for the city's benefit. And, And what we're seeing now are the effects of when people don't build into a community of when our back porches are far more inhabited than our front porches. Or, or when we, we can't even go over to someone's house without calling first. And we know how weird that is, right? Do you, do you realize how weird it is that it, I have a rule as a pastor, general rule, that if you're, if you're under 40, I text you before I call you. Because if I don't, you ignore my call or you answer the phone like I'm some angry dragon beast. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Like, don't you have caller ID? And, and sometimes people even say, why didn't you, you, you should have texted me. Or, or we have, we've all done this too, right? Somebody calls you, but our phones have this feature where we text them back to say, sorry, can't talk right now. Can you text? Anyone else? No? Just me? Okay. you But if you're, if you're over... 40, I could call you, and it's just like a normal human being, because if you're over 40, a phone is actually a phone. It's not a different thing. Are we building in? Are we planting gardens? Are we saying, I'm here committed to this community, or is the community here for us? And then I love the practicality of this part, the next part, verse 6. Take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your son, give your daughters in marriage. I don't like that part, but that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there, do not decrease. Now, you may be thinking, I'm not, um, I'm not the kid type, or I'm past the kid type. My kids are growing. Well, this is not about me. But I need to tell you, this is not about just childbearing. It's about fear. It's about moving forward and saying, not only are we gonna build here, plant here, we're gonna start a family here. Now, if anybody gets this, it's suburban Tampa. I mean, there are maps that mock Tampa by labeling each area of the city. Do you know what the area from 301 in Riverview all the way to Fishhawk is labeled? Minivans and soccer moms. Straight up, not me. Don't get mad at me. That's the mail. I just deliver it. Okay, but it's true because we know we see that family family is important. However, however, I think we've pulled back from the way that we are engaging children. And, and whether you have children or don't have children, maybe you're single and never want to have children, married, never want to have children, maybe you have grandchildren or no grandchildren, I need us to understand that in this verse, there is something precious that happens when you see a child do something amazing. And on the flip side, there's something that shatters us and rips us apart when we see something tragic happen to children. And I don't know if, if you're like me, but it's like every one of these things that happens to kids, I almost feel like my heart is in one of those uh, deli machines, and it's just shaving pieces of my heart away, and I just can't, my heart can't take it anymore. I don't think our country's heart can take it anymore. We're done. We were done after the first, second, third, fourth, fifth. From Columbine on, it's just become one narrative after another. And, and don't panic. I'm not, this is not a political thing. This is... This is us needing to learn that we should not live in fear that is reactive. This is us needing to say, I'm not going to let what's happening around me put me in a cocoon of fear, because that's all that I smell is fear on people. It's all that I see is like, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just start carrying more guns. And I don't know how many guns is enough. Like, are we waiting till all of us have rifles like strapped onto our legs and we can't even walk anymore? Or I I thought of this thing, and, and some of you may not like this or agree, you don't have to. But I I prayed for the families of Parkland, I prayed for the friends, I prayed for the teachers, I prayed for the school community, and then I prayed for the shooter. And I've got this philosophy: I'm I'm never gonna mention shooters' names ever again never on social media, and I'm not going to let them be notorious in any way, just the shooter. But I prayed for him because to to be consistent with who I am and who Jesus is, I said, God, you love everyone. You would send someone to die for someone that I think deserves to die. I don't get it, but I trust you. Are we going to raise our kids and pour into them. And this verse says, are we going to give them in marriage? Which means are going to be involved? Or are we just going to punt it away? Are we going to be afraid so that we don't even have kids? We don't build houses? We don't go outside? Or are we going to engage? The Israelites were in a bad situation. They were taken from safety into enemy territory. But God has a plan. God has a plan. And we can't always see it, but we can trust it because the verse that we have in our coffee mugs, that God has a future and a hope, that God does not have a plan for evil, but for welfare, for good. That plan sits on this passage of showing us how to live. And just because your life is not going according to your plan doesn't mean it's not going according to God's plan. We have to keep living keep doing right, keep loving our neighbors, even if it's terrifying. But I think it's time that we begin to live a proactive life. In this passage, it, it's just very simple. Root into your community. Be involved with the lives of the children. They're um, Christians, if, if you ask somebody outside of the church, you know, what is Christianity? What is Christianity about? What do Christians believe? Um, what are some of the things that they tell you? What do Christians believe? Do you guys talk to people that don't go to church gatherings? Any idea? Or what are Christians known for? What are Christians known for? This is one of those Tony Robbins ones where you can actually answer. Okay, you're brave enough. Come on, bud. What what are Christians known for? For loving God. God. That's a good thing. When? What else are Christians known for? Huh? Huh? rules rules are good though right because we need rules on the uh, the roads otherwise things go bad i was cut off this week by someone who, who i've seen at the chapel and it's one of those my favorite moments when somebody cuts me off and then they recognize me from the chapel i always make the most snarky thing i'm like hey ha, see you next week jesus loves you and so do i you know if someone cuts me off not from the chapel then i need jesus okay um what what are, what are christians known for going to church okay what are Christians known for? Oh, way to, way to Debbie down us. <laughs> Jeez, being hypocrites. So hypocrite, literally mask wear, hypocritus, someone who wears a mask, they show something that they not, aren't actually, okay? What else are Christians known for? If you say, hey, what is Christianity about? What are people going to say that don't know anything about? You already did one. You only get one, one answer, buddy. Sorry. Yeah, Frankie. Study in, in the Bible. Judging. Okay, st- we, so we study the Bible, we are hypocrites, we judge people, we have lots of rules. What are like the rules? Oh, yeah, Linda, one more. Helping others. So there's, so we've got this mishmash of things that we have in, in Christianity. But what's scary is the more I talk to people, um, I mean, I hear hypocrites almost instantly. What is, what is Christianity about to you? Oh, uh, hypocrites, they judge people. I, I rarely hear from people outside the church that we're about helping others. I hear a lot of things that Christians are against, actually. We are against, if I just put we are against, dot, 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 I'm sure we could fill in ten blanks, times ten, times ten. We are against a lot of things, and some things we should be against. But it's time, I think, to change the tide of this culture that we press into what we are for, and I don't mean like in the general thoughts and prayers way. This is where I want to get extremely practical because my kids right now are nine, six, four, and like 0.5, okay? I don't think that the dehumanization that has occurred in our culture will be repaired in their childhood. I, I really don't. I don't think, and God, God can, and I pray that God will, but I have this idea in my mind and, and the trajectory that I see that, that the way the culture is now, the way that we have dehumanized the human experience, the way that we haven't taught kids how to lose and how to suffer and, and experience loss and actually work through it constructively, um, and, and I think it's all tied together. This is not a gun issue, not gun issue. This is an issue like I talked about with one parent yesterday at NZONE here. I said, how did your child do? Man, they lost. And I was like, that stinks, but it's kind of good. Because when you lose at end zone, you don't get a trophy. And you may be for participation trophies. I'm a big anti-participation trophy guy. Because what are we teaching kids when they get the trophy when they're in last place? We're teaching them that, you know, buddy, you're still a winner deep down on the inside, and we're not teaching them how to cope with loss. But what happens when they turn 18? Have, has anyone here made it? to the age of 30 without experiencing massive loss, lost job, lost money, lost relatives, lost friends. And if we don't teach them how to do it when they're seven, how do we expect them to do it when they're 27? So, we need to work with our kids. We need to pour into our kids. We need to know what we're for. We need to understand that this dehumanization of us as a culture, it's not just tied to one legislative issue or another. When God is saying build houses and live in them, plant gardens and then have families, he's saying be a community of people so that you see and you are present with those around you, so that you know your neighbor. I don't think it's an accident that the greatest commandment is a two-part command, love God and love your neighbor. It's not pretend to be something you're not and go to church and study the Bible, but secretly gossip and judge people behind their back. I don't know that my kids will have a childhood that is safe, but God doesn't promise us safety. These people were in exile. I don't know that my childhoods, my kids' childhood will have a, a years of, of time where there won't be shootings. It's very likely, unfortunately, that there will continue to be carnage But what are we going to do about it? Because right now the answer is call your congressman and let's get laws made. I'm all for it. Call them. Bug them. But we've been playing that song for a long time now. So I, um, I just decided that if no one else is going to try, I'm going to try to create something that rehumanizes the human condition, that reminds us all that we're made in the image of God. And it's starting um, this week, actually. This week, I'm putting out job posts, and I'm putting out um, feelers to all of my friends. And we were going to hire a youth pastor, but I I don't want to hire a youth pastor anymore because the youth group experience, it's like a 60-year failed experiment. So we're going to hire somebody, and I don't know what their official title is going to be. It's going to be something like Student Community Development. And, and what it's going to be aimed to do is that I'm, we're going to create things for students to come here regardless of what they believe when they walk through the doors. And we're going to need everyone's help in this community because this position that we're going to be hiring for here through the chapel, it's not all about getting people to the chapel. It's about raising up teams of adults who say, hey, I know music. I can teach a three-week class to kids who want to learn music. I know how to build things and put motorcycles together. I'll bring two motorcycles over and we're going to teach kids over five weeks how do you tear apart a carburetor and clean it and put it back in. I know how to draw, we're going to do a drawing workshop, I'm a business leader, can I, I'll take kids for a, a three-month internship and teach them how to run a business, I'm a restaurant owner, can we have kids come in and, and we'll get them involved in our social media marketing and can we put out nets into the school so that we can find all of the kids who are hurting and alone and broken and showing signs of anger, isolation and humiliation and can we bring them in and say the church is a place where we can stand together no matter what you're going through. Because if we don't begin to do this now, not only will my children grow up in this world that is falling apart at the seams, in this world that looks to politicians instead of a savior, in this world that looks to the laws of the nation instead of the grace and spirit of God, not only will my kids be trapped, but my grandkids will be trapped, and their kids will be trapped. Because this, what we're doing today, it's not a one-day fix, a one-year fix. This is a generational fix because it took a generation to break. So I'm not going to hire just a youth pastor that, that can play games and shoot water balloons at people. I, they can do that if they want on Wednesdays. But, but we have to create something that's sustainable and begins to change a culture. And if we can't start it in Fishhawk, where 99% of us parents already idolize our children too much, we can't start it anywhere. Like, this is the community where people literally bleed and die for their kids. And by bleed and die, I mean pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for a sporting program so little Johnny can make it to the NFL even though he's five six and a buck nothing. We care about our kids in a certain way. But are we, are we willing to put in the blood and the sweat? Because when, I, when we hire this person at the chapel, and, and this is a... This is a church thing. This is gonna be our gift to this area because my, I don't care if people come to the chapel because of it. I do want them to see the worldview of Jesus, that, that there is someone who came from heaven to earth. Jesus was self-exiled to come and reach us. Jesus gave up everything that he had in heaven and became nothing so that we could become everything, so that we could have his spirit within us. So as part of this student community development position, I want us as individuals to be known for what we're for. We are for God, yes. We are for purity. I I am like super, super for sexual purity. And, And not for the reason you might think. Yes, because Jesus talks about it a lot. But in large part, because I think one of the radical dehumanizations the way we view people as less human than ourselves has come into this world because of the flood of the oversexualization of our culture, pornography, etc. And here's what's terrifying: an article was just posted in the New York Times, a totally non-religious article, that says we need to do something about the porn problem in our country. When the New York Times and a conservative pastor are like agreeing and shaking hands. That's how you know the world has reached a tipping point. Are you tracking? Because now there's organizations that have nothing to do with religion that are looking at the effects of the oversexualization of our culture and they're finally connecting the dots. You mean that viewing women as objects leads to things like rape? Yes. You mean that this radical thing where we go to the movies and we oo and ah over people because of their physical appearance? You mean the reason like there's Instagram famous people simply for their looks and the skill of their duck face pose? This, it's, it's changing us. Don't worry. I'm not going to go on Instagram and put you on blast for all your duck faces. But this is why I, I want us to be for sexual purity. The church... The church should have uh, adult-only classes where we say, hey, we're going to study the Song of Songs together so that you can know that the sex you're having is nothing close to the amazingness that God created it for because the Song of Songs book will make you blush and give all the guys some sweet pickup lines. You could tell your woman that her neck is the Tower of David and her belly is a heap of wheat. You can tell her that her hair is like a flock of goats descending Mount Gilead. You could really get her engine going. Because the church should be for amazing married sex with the person you're married to. The church should be for forgiveness that extends not just to the people we like, but to the people we don't naturally like. The church should be known for how kind we are. The church should be known for loving our neighbors well. Let's go practical. The church should be known for foster care. We should be known for child development. We should be known for a hub within a city community like this where we say, "Hey, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't know about that God thing, but my kid who is in trouble, he goes he goes to the chapel and he learned to build motorcycles. He learned to play guitar. She learned to paint. She learned how to run a business." She learned how to write newspaper articles because we want to be for the community. We want to put something for these kids to aim at because right now they're aiming at very little, and it terrifies me. Terrifies me, my own kids. Nobody will give their lives. Rarely will they. For 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 the flip side of the coin, for what we're against. When people fight the most valiant wars, it's always for the other side of the coin, for what they're for. We have to be for entrepreneurs creating businesses aimed at human flourishing. We need to be for parents who pour truth and grace into children. We need to be for parents who need that second wind. The single moms who are already at 0% when they get home, but their kids are there. We need to be for them. They should never stand alone. Some of us know them, and we we offer prayer. We offer small words of encouragement. We should offer single moms public gift cards and free house cleaning. We should offer those who have kids that have repeatedly been removed from school we should come alongside those families not tell our kids to stay away from them we need to be for the practical things take in your neighbor's trash can my neighbor's here so now i have to do this help your neighbor with their yard work Sorry, Amber, I'm helping the other neighbor. (laughs) Have a meal with somebody. Care for the friends of your children. Pray for them. Help them through hard times. Are we getting the picture? Before these kids, before one another, before our neighbors. Be out there and present. We have to nurture every form of life and fight back against the things that rob us and others of connection to a true abundant life in Jesus. Now, my hope and prayer is that revival happens and everyone believes in Jesus and runs to him. But people aren't going to bang down the walls of the church when all we do is talk about church stuff. Come to church. Learn this. Come to church. Learn that. Instead, church, you, us, me, it's time that we just bring what we have and God has given us and go out. That's what this position that we're going to be hiring is going to do. It's not even going to be a traditional youth pastor position. They're going to rally adults to love children well. And we're going to background check the heck out of everyone and resource groups out. And there are other groups that are doing this, but the church just seems so concerned with how many seats we can heat up on a Sunday that uh, we're not concerned enough with how many seats we can empty into the week. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jesus is the hope that they were looking for. Jesus is the hope and the only hope of the world. Next week, we're talking about, is Jesus the only way? The answer is yes. Sorry, there's a spoiler alert I should have said. But that doesn't mean that we are going to be jerks about it. It means that we're going to press into this world and And if you missed the message I preached a few months ago when I was strung out on monsters, coffee, and bananas, um, this world is sin broken in all over. And the cross gives us the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring pockets of heaven and break away the pockets of hell that exist. Parkland last week is a pocket of hell. It's hell on earth. Some of your marriages are literally hell on earth. There's fighting. There's uh, lack of forgiveness. There's lack of mercy. Those are, those are attributes of, of hellishness. Until we begin to open those doors and say, I need some, someone come in. Someone bring a taste of heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what spiritual growth is. God's kingdom breaking in, changing schools, changing communities, changing marriages, changing children's hearts. And God has got one plan, just a plan A, No plan B. Plan A is the church. That's it. Community programs aren't going to do it. You can call your politicians till your face turns blue. They cannot save the world. Jesus alone has the power to save because he alone was self-exiled so that you could be brought into the family. He alone left the city of God so that you could one day dwell there forever. He alone brought God's kingdom into the world that was full of darkness, and now it is a world full of light. Because the church, in another time, we are the ones who started foster care and orphanages. We did it because the Romans were abandoning their children at the city limits. And Christians said no. Christians were the ones who created hospitals. Followers of Jesus were the ones who created the first universities so that people can be educated to make excellent businesses, excellent arts. These started From the Christian heart and tradition of working and rooting into a city. And we've lost our way a bit. But I'm not going to let my grandkids grow up the same way my kids are going to. And you can stand with me. I promise you don't want to stand against me because I'm not doing this in my strength. This is not something I would look forward to as a hobby. I would rather just preach, tell jokes, manage a budget, and then die eventually. This is going to put a target on us, a spiritual warfare target, a faith target. Other churches will get mad at us if their kids come to this. And I'm going to tell them, look, I'm not trying to steal a bunch of sheep. I'm trying to make sure the sheep don't kill each other. And I don't want to just guilt us by saying, we've got to do it for the kids. Sounds like an 80s song written by Michael Jackson or something. We've got to do it because God is in us. And because God has chosen us and loves us despite us. Some of us in here are broken. And maybe for the first time today, we can go to someone and say, I'm broken. I'm angry. I don't like this. I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know if I want to follow God. But that's got to be the first start. And it can't really happen here. You can come up and talk to me, but it won't work. It happens in a place like uh, when we meet with a band of brothers or small groups and people say, this is my church. We've got people that attend some of our Bible studies that haven't stepped foot in a church for over two decades. And they probably won't come here. And I'm super okay with that. They'll never give money here, as far as I can tell. But they they come and they share their life. If you don't have that, find it. And if you want to get involved in this thing we're going to be doing, because I'm looking to hire this person on Easter Sunday... I want to hire them by then. If you want to get involved, we're going to be putting out just these skill set things of where you can help. What do you own? How can you invite these people in? And if you guys don't want to do it, then I will do it until my knuckles are bloody and raw. I'll learn how to fix a motorcycle, teach a kid how to play a guitar, mow a lawn, paint a picture, tutor them in English or math, tutor them in life. The best youth groups that we have here are the ones that aren't even sanctioned and official. The best, best youth, youth groups are the moms and dads that tell their teenagers' friends, come over, let's hang out, and they pray, and they share, and they talk about God's word. Let's, let's be better, fam. Jesus was better. He's won the race. He's paid the price. We are free. We have nothing to fear because God has won. I'm not going to, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to do this anymore during the, um, as the news goes on, because it just happens so regularly. But I, I want you to know, if you, if you don't already, like, know where to go, where to get plugged in, we're going to start putting out a lot more stuff to help people navigate this and walk through it. Like, podcasts that aren't just sermons, just 10 minutes on your commute to listen to a way to reshape the way you're thinking about going into your Monday morning. And I, we need your help the church, this community, this city. For as the city goes, Jeremiah says, so goes our welfare. And as the city goes, so goes our country. We've got one city here, common city, Tampa area. We've got to come together. Let's pray. Father, I just don't want even one, one more. Lord, I don't want one more. None of us want any more of these. It's too exhausting it's emotionally exhausting putting your kids on the bus, watching them go to school, and having to think these thoughts. It's it's the level 100 stress for these teachers who are going back to school and they're examining exit routes and safety plans and strategies, and then they're expected to teach our kids when the stress is crushing down on them. God, we've got families... And we, Lord, myself included, we're living for other things. We're living for comfort. We're living to accumulate things for ourselves. Help us be known as generous, kind, forgiving people who point others to your way, to Jesus, but who love others regardless of where they are in their journey of faith. God, I ask for a miracle. I ask for a miracle that this community is changed in such a way that our kids don't have have a worry or a thought about the carnage that has happened over the past two decades. I pray that the churches come together, that we stop being petty about how many people or how big our budget or how big our building is and that we come together and we fight. God, give us the spirit, and the will to wage war against darkness. God, this is all for you. It's what you've called me to. Lord, it's what I'll give my life to in Jesus' name. Amen.